0: All right, can we give God praise all across the room? Come on! I can remember in 2020, September 12th of 2020, laying in my bed Saturday night. We're starting the church the next day. We're going to be meeting in the Hilton Garden Inn, which really is fun. Getting up at the crack of dawn and setting up church. Glad we don't have to do that anymore. Thank you, Jesus, for this building. (laughs) But just being nervous, you know, just like, what is God going to do? Is it just going to be the Chi Alpha students? And we're having, like, Chi Alpha on Sunday and then also Tuesday. (laughs) So I remember just, like, being so nervous. And along the way, there's been those moments where it's like, okay, how is God going to make this work? And he has proven, you know, time and time again that he is faithful. On my whiteboard in my office at home, It says, I'm not the church planter. Jesus is the church planter. And that's just the truth. And I'm not saying that to sound humble or something. Like, it's just the truth. I'm not wired for this kind of thing. It's not about me. It's like This thing, it couldn't have happened without him. It couldn't be where it is right now without Jesus. Like, he is the one who's building this church. I get this image of him, like, building it block by block, brick by brick. He's building it. I'm just grateful to be a, a part of it. I'm grateful for each of you uh, being a part of it. If you're here today, even, this is, even if this is your first time, hey, you're a part of the story, right? You're here today. Even if you come today and you're like, I hate that church, it's never coming back. Well, hey, you came one Sunday, so you're a part of the story, right? So I just wanna thank you for being here and, and, and being a part of this. It's been, a, it's been a great couple of years. And today I wanna share a sermon called The Dream, and, and, and I just want to talk about Jesus' dream for our church, also reflect a bit, and we'll be in Mark chapter 11, verse 17, so you can turn there, and as you're turning, I'm going to have my uh, new baby girl, Lily, come up here Well, Emily's going to bring her up. So last Friday, September 1st, uh, this baby girl was born a couple weeks early, 7 pounds, 7.6 ounces. Everyone wants to know that. It's like, that's people's main concern. How much does she weigh? I, I don't even know the difference. Like, I don't even know if that's, a, like, regular or chubby or what, but point is she's seven pounds if you're wondering but uh but yeah she's beautiful has a head of hair all four of them had that head of hair it's crazy I don't know what it is about the jeans we got good hair I guess way to go but uh so but yeah so grateful that it went really well It it was seamless so so praise God for Lily and and Lord please no more four is enough no I'm just kidding but uh just kidding all right let's give God praise for that I'm so thankful all right So we're going to finish up Philippians next week. I had prepared that sermon, you know, for last Sunday. And then on Friday, obviously, Lily came. So I texted Victor. I was like, buddy, you got this. You got this. There's no one better. And he was sick. He did a great job, didn't he? It was so good. I was getting wrecked. I had revival at my house. So thank you, Victor, for bringing the word. Appreciate it. He was sick, too. So he wrote that when he was sick. Didn't give him any direction. I just said, you got to hear from God. And I believe he did hear from God. And I believe we're all... Uh, made better because of that word. So I'm thankful to have a team of people that can step up and, and do this thing. So praise God for that. But today we're going to uh, do the anniversary Sunday message. We'll uh, then finish up Philippians next week is the plan. But but let's pray before we dive into this sermon. So Lord, we uh, thank you so much for what you're doing in this house and for all these people that have been touched by you or, or maybe someone's here for the first time. They never even Encountered you before, but God, I pray, I thank you for every person, and I, I pray that today's message would bring you glory and that you would speak through it, that it would not be my words, but it, it would be your words through me. So, God, we love you, we praise you, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 In 2011, God gave me a dream. At the time, I was a freshman at UNI and I was a part of a small group of about 20 or so students that were, were trying to get a Chi Alpha campus ministry started on the campus. And my job was to play the drums. Okay, so there's a picture of me playing the drums. <laughs> so that was my job. I had one job, didn't do it great, or didn't do it super well, but I had one job, play the drums. And at the Chi Alpha Fall retreat that year, I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And if you don't know what that is, we're gonna talk about it in a month or so. I'm jacked up about talking about that. But anyways, baptized in the Holy Spirit. And in my mind's eye, God gave me a dream or a vision. And the vision was this, it it was the room that that Chi Alpha had met in. It was that room being filled up to maximum capacity and it, it becoming standing room only for Chi Alpha. So the idea was that Chi Alpha would have an impact on the campus and reach students. Over the following years, I married Emily. I moved away, or we moved away to Minneapolis to go to Bible school. And then in 2015, we returned to Cedar Falls to lead Chi Alpha. The Chi Alpha ministry had had pretty much died at that point. There was a few students left that were still meeting. And we grabbed those 20 or so students left and gave them the vision that God had given us, and said, "Hey, hey, let's go and reach the campus." And this was some of the students part of that group that first year. So you see some people, Katie Boldy in the front row. Look at that, Katie Crack back then. You know, got some. Or there's Regan Shank up at the top. Taylor Harmon at the time. Now Taylor Quimby. Way to go, Derek. You see some of the people that are still part of the church, but. Um, but yeah, so that was kind of that, that first group. And then you know, just a year later, God did cool things. Just a year later, we got to see that vision fulfilled. On that night, I looked up, I was standing about right where that picture was taken. And I looked up like, hey, that's the vision that I had being fulfilled. And, and God filled that room up. There's 87 seats and 94 students there. I was like, oh my goodness. The next day I went to lunch with the worship pastor at the time. And I said, dude, we're living the dream, man. This is the dream. This is the good old days, right? We're in the good old days right now. And it was a really fun time. And, and shortly after that, God gave me another dream. I began to dream about not just trying to fill up a worship service with people, but instead raising up fully devoted disciples of Jesus who could uh, then go out and help their friends become fully devoted disciples of Jesus. I, I, I dreamed about not just having a big ministry, and, and it wasn't necessarily big, but you know, I kind of felt like it was at the time, but, but not just having a big ministry, but having big people. That was the dream, like big People and over the next few years we got to see this start to happen through our small groups on the campus. We had this vision, this this dream of, of, of these small groups being started throughout the U I dorms and it would be like we're Infiltrating the campus with the gospel as we're planting gospel communities all over the campus of you and I. But to do that, we had to raise up leaders. So we began to call students into leadership and say, hey, God has called you. You can lead a group of students closer to Jesus. And in the context of these small groups, students were raised up into kingdom maturity and into leadership. And as this happened, many began to feel a call to full time ministry. And I did not want to lose all of our best students to Bible school. So I said, we got to figure out how to train them here. Okay, so to that end, we pioneered our internship program. It started in 2018 with Pastor Derek and myself. And if you don't know who Pastor Derek is, he's my little brother. Okay, so me and my little brother, three and a half years younger than me, they said, hey, I'm going to coach you. I'm going to teach you everything I know. So every morning, we would gather in my office, and I would just talk at him for three hours. <laughs> like, this is how you do it. All right, little brother, you want to know? This is how you do it, right? So we'd talk, and then we'd go have lunch, you know, watch the episode of The Office together and then go grab a cup of coffee in the afternoon. And he'd watch me write my sermons. That was literally what happened a lot of days during that time. But, you know, Derek, he is a, thankfully, he's a self-learner, right? He, 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 he took responsibility for his own internship and figured out how to become a pastor. And he, he went through the process, all that. But, but now today we've taken 14 alumni through that internship program. And thank God for, for Pastor Derek and Pastor Victor, our internship director, who preached last week, because they have made it something really special that it wasn't when I was leaving it. But uh, so, uh, so as of 2019, we had a few more interns. That's the next year. So we, you see some more people. That was our interns there. And then Pastor Derek was on the staff at that point. And then at this point, I felt like I am living the dream. Look at these big people around me. Not like big as in big, but like big, strong people. These are awesome people around me that I get to do this with. And in the midst of this, I got yet another dream in my heart. I'm like, God, can I just enjoy it? I'm living the dream. I want to live the dream and enjoy the dream. I don't want to do another thing. But this dream started with a growing discontentment. My heart was turning. It was agonizing. Emily had to listen to me just talk about it every night before bed. I, I, I was just... Uh, discontented that Chi Alpha did not have a local church partnership that had the same DNA and the same vision as Chi Alpha. I love campus ministry. I, I bleed campus ministry, but I knew that for a campus ministry to thrive for the long haul, it needs a strong partner church with the same heart, right? They need something that, that can continue the process after they're 22, right? We need something beyond 22. And this provoked my spirit. I wanted to change it. I was also discontented with the fact that, that even though we were reaching students on the campus of U9, God was doing sweet things. The Cedar Valley had a lot of people that don't know Jesus, right? And I I wanted to reach every generation. It, it, it provoked my spirit that, that for the thing I was leading, it, it could only include you know, people who fit in this little window. And I'm like, I want to reach adults, I want to reach moms and dads. I don't I want to reach grandmas and grandpas and babies and kids and teenagers. And during this time, I also saw. A study that said that Cedar Rapids up through Waterloo, so that area of Iowa, is the fourth least Bible-minded region in the nation. In the nation! Us Iowans, I thought we were good Christians, right? What's up with that? Well, what does that mean? That means that we're not being discipled very well. If we're not Bible-minded, we might be going to church, I don't know, but, but we're not Bible-minded. And said, so I wanna change that. I wanna be, be a, a part of the solution. I also came across a study that said that only 39% of people belong to a church in the Cedar Valley, So what does that mean? That means that 61,000 people all around us do not belong to a church. So I'm like, praise God for the other churches. I wanna help and go reach some of the other people that are left. As I was processing this discontentment, I met with my former pastor from high school who also serves as the assistant superintendent of the Iowa District of the Assemblies of God and his name is Rich. That's a long title. His name is Rich. I shared my heart. I shared my discontentment with him, and he looked me in the eyes, and he had planted a church about 10 years before this, or maybe it's 15 years at this point. He had planted a church in Iowa City, you know, a place that's hard to reach, and he had grown his church to 1,000 people, and, and, and he looked me in the eyes. He said, I think you're supposed to plant a church in Cedar Falls. I said, me? Do you know me? I ain't good at trying to gather a crowd, right? I'm not like that you, let's come on, let's get (laughs) everyone together, that's not who I am, right, but his belief in me unlocked the vision that God was trying to birth in me, and for whatever reason, I hadn't realized or accepted that I was supposed to start a church yet, seems like the logical solution, but I hadn't thought of it, or hadn't accepted it, And, and, and there were so many barriers to seeing that happen, there was a price to be paid, church planting is not for the faint of heart, I didn't want to pay that price, so I just didn't let my heart or mind go there. I'm like, nah, I'm not gonna go there. And when he expressed his belief in me, it changed everything. And a week later, I came to John 20, my Bible reading plan. So just the, it's just the passage for that day. And I came to John 20, 21. It says, Jesus said to them, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And it was like the Spirit of God grabbed me by the shirt. He's like, I felt like he said, when you plant this Church, you're not to be a church that exists for yourself. You're not to be a church that sits on your hands. You are to be a church that's for the one, for the city, and for the world. And I wrote that at the top of my journal entry that day. I should have taken a picture, put it up here. It says, sent church in big letters, for the one, for the city, for the world. At this point, the call was clear. We were to be a sent church. Several months later in October of 2019, I made it official and began telling people about the vision. We were planting sent church in the best time in human history, the fall of 2020. It's gonna be a great time. 2020 is like the year of dreams coming to pass. I I remember 2020, like everyone was fired up. at, At New Year's Day, we're like, we're in a new decade. Come on, it's gonna be good. Like the church was really fired up. Like the church in America was like, Yeah, we're gonna reach so many people. Revival's coming 2020, we're all excited. Well, shortly after that, COVID started wreaking havoc on our world, and my hair got really long. I looked like a homeless person. I was still convinced we were supposed to plant in the fall of 2020. I was like, I, was like, I don't care if I'm like John the Baptist in the wilderness, like, sent church. Yeah, no, it's not a smell. It's not a penny. It's sent. We're sent out by God to love the one, serve our cities, and change the world. Come join me. I was convinced. I'll, I'll be like John the Baptist, whatever. And we had our first service on September 13th of 2020 in the Hilton Garden and see launch Sunday here, this picture, there you go. And God began to slowly grow the church and he miraculously provided the funds to purchase this building, you know, mainly through a partner church in Des Moines called New Hope Assembly of God in Urbandale. If you're ever around there on a Sunday, go there, give them a hug, say thank you for helping us buy this building. So they helped us buy this building And we closed on this building in the spring of 2021. And for the last 2.5 years, or two and a half years, we've been focused on on developing our church. Let me show you a picture, actually, from the first Sunday here. Or actually, the video here. Let's show the video. Sorry. Oh, it's going again. Perfect. So, yeah, so this came up for sale. Sorry, I skipped this part of the story. Now I'm going back. Thank you, Aaron, for saving me. He put that video up. He's like, you forgot something. Okay, let me back up. So before we planted in in November of 2019, okay, so I told the story of us planting before that, November 2019, November 26 is when I found out about this building coming for sale. So we are just said we're planting the church I feel like a crazy person, I'm 26 at the time, like, we're going to do this, we have a bunch of students, no money, I'm playing the church. I, I drive by the Cedar High, I, I drive by this building, I see the for sale sign, and it's, and it's listed for a million dollars, I'm like, that sounds great for someone else. <laughs> and then a pastor friend texted me and said, you got to go check out that building, you got to check it out, I think God might have it for you, uh, or Pastor Jason Stickles from Celebration Church had texted me, and said, man, you got to check it out. So we come on November 26th, we check out the building, and, and that was that first day of coming in and checking it out. And we just began to pray and believe that God would give us the building. And again, we eventually, 14 months later, ended up closing on that building in the spring of 2021. So uh, let's show the first service in the building now. You can see the picture there. the first Sunday. And, and now, like I was saying, for the last two and a half years, we've just been focused on building and developing our church family. And, and we've been focused on building big people. And as we have focused on this, we've just seen God continue to do amazing things. And, and just a few weeks ago, we celebrated moving to two services. We tried it once in the past. It didn't work out that well. We did, now we did it again. So we're at two services. You can see this this a couple weeks ago. So this is the second service a couple weeks ago, back to school Sunday. Someone sent me a video after service of the parking around the neighborhood just completely filled up and that's just for one service, right? So we had two services and, and God filled up that room. He's filled it up today again. So praise God for that, right? But, but then one of the most beautiful things though about all this, so this is all great, but, but I think one of the most beautiful things is that Scent Church has planted as it's grown, as people have, have, have dove in, and Chi Alpha has gotten stronger under Pastor Derek's leadership. You know, maybe those three-hour coaching sessions, maybe it worked, I don't know. But uh, so I went to their launch service a couple weeks ago. I'll be honest with you, I didn't listen to the sermon. Sorry, Pastor Derek, I'll listen to it some other time, but I just cried. Just cried as I looked around the room, and 230 or 232 students are going after Jesus. Let's show a video here of them going after Jesus. Oh, Praise God. And the vision continues with Chi Alpha, right? God has done so much. I feel like I'm getting to live in the dreams of my younger self. But here's the thing. Before they were ever my dreams, I believe they were Jesus's dreams. This church and community was birthed from the heart of God. Here's the thing. Let me just share something else. I went really long in the first service and I'm on track to go long again. I'm sorry. But it's anniversary Sunday. Give this to me, right? So... So here's the thing, Chi Alpha wouldn't have been started in 2010, when it started just a year before we came, if Jonathan Bartholo, who pastors Cross Point Church in Waverly now, if he hadn't driven up here every week from Des Moines to plant Chi Alpha, he felt compelled. God told him, drive up to Cedar Falls, plant a Chi Alpha. He did it every single week, just in time, because me and Emily got to campus the next year, and other students as well. But he drove up every week, back and forth, back and forth, back. This dream, it was God's idea. It wasn't Jonathan's idea, it wasn't mine. It was God's idea. I believe Jonathan really is the one who planted this church in 2011. All right, praise God for a man who is willing to count the cost. Right? This is Jesus' idea. He's been all over it. And you are all a part of this dream. I wanna thank you for pursuing this dream. Even with that said, though, we have not arrived yet. I don't ever wanna get impressed with ourselves. Right? It's good to celebrate, be like grateful. Yeah, look what God's done, but I don't wanna get impressed with ourselves. Like This is Jesus' thing. And there's so much further to go. As we head into our fourth year as a church, we can't coast, we can't settle. We have to keep pursuing his dream. We have to be passionate, say, Jesus, give us your dream for the next decade. Are right, we're not gonna settle for what you've done in the past. I never wanna be that guy that's like, oh, the good old days when the church was great. No, I'm contending for the future. Right, let's get his dream for 2024 and 25, 26. Let's get his dream, let's not coast. Let's keep pursuing his dream for our church and our cities. But this applies also to our individual lives. Let's let's pursue his dream for our lives. Whether your life is going good or you're struggling, get his vision for your life and pursue it. But the question is, what is Jesus' dream for your life and for our church? What exactly is his dream? And I I group these questions together because I think his dream is actually the same for both. Because obviously Jesus has specific dreams and callings for our lives. And he has specific dreams and callings for different churches, right? Different churches are called to different things. However, I think his dream in a general sense is the same for every person and for every church. He has one dream for all of his people everywhere. And we see this dream vividly in Mark chapter 11. Okay, here's the thing, before Martin Luther King Jr. ever had an, I have a dream speech, uh, Jesus had one, and I believe we see it right here. Okay, so just before this, just before the story, he arrives in Jerusalem on a donkey, and people are treating him like a king. They're like, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus is like, thanks for your praise, but I know you're going to kill me in a week. Okay, so I'll enjoy it while it lasts, but you're going to get angry in a week. He knows his only temper. He knows they're going to crucify them, or or crucify him in just a week's time. He knows he's in his final week. And as he looks down the barrel of his death, the first thing he does is he goes into the temple. Okay, I love this verse. He's like sizing the temple up. It says, and he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, it was already late. He went out to Bethany with the 12. Okay, again, it's just as if he's preparing for a big moment, he goes in there. He just looks at it, looks good. And then he leaves. He goes back the next day. And he marches into the temple. And this is what it says. They came to Jerusalem and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned that table of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. It as if Jesus says, if I'm gonna die this week, I'm going out swinging. I'm laying it all on the line. And to that end, he goes a little cray-cray on the temple. (laughs) He flips some tables over. This ain't fairy dust Jesus, right? He's he's flipping some tables. He's driving people out. And John even says he took a whip to the people. So he's like, okay, John 2, check it out. This is real. Okay, John 2, 15. And Jesus, we're talking about Jesus, makes a whip of cords. He drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. He poured out the coins. He's like, Here's your money, pouring it out. He flips the tables over, he overturns them. He's not playing around, right? Jesus ain't messing around. He is judging the temple. In chapter 13, he's gonna say that the temple is coming down, okay? You gotta get the gravity of this. The temple was the center of religious life for the Jews. It was the dwelling place of God's presence. It was the place where people came and made offerings and sacrifices to God and the place where they worshiped him. And this is why there were money changers and pigeons being sold in the temple courts. When worshipers would come to the temple, they would need to exchange their money for the official coinage and then buy animals sufficient for the sacrifice so then they could bring them to the priest for the offering. But the problem with this was the money changers and the pigeons and all the other animals were keeping the Gentiles or the non-Jews out of the temple. Okay, so they're hanging out in the outer courts where the Gentiles were supposed to be able to worship. And this kept Gentiles away from the temple. And the house of God that was supposed to be a connecting point between people and God was actually a barrier to people connecting to God. And this made Jesus mad. He was ticked off. Can I say t- I think I can say ticked off. All right. His anger, it gives us a window into his heart. All right. here's the thing. The things, that, or the things that make us angry, they usually show what we're passionate about, which we could just think about that for a little bit, and that could be very convicting for me and for a lot of us. Think about the things we get angry about. Right? But, but or for example, so for many of you, you're going to watch the NFL today. I will also watch the NFL. It will be a good time. But for those that don't care too much, when a bad call happens, you're going to shrug it off. You're gonna be like, oh, whatever. If that's been me for the last several years, I'm a Redskins now Commanders fan. And I haven't even liked my own team for the last like decade. So I'm like, yeah, they threw a pick, whatever. And the reason I haven't liked the team is I haven't liked the owner, but he sold the team this summer. Praise the Lord, come on, I've been, I've been fasting, I've been seeking God with all my heart for that my whole life, sold the team, so I will be a little more excited this time, but usually I shrug it off, I move on, but for those of you who are diehard fans, like you wear your jersey to church, and I don't think there's anyone who did that today, but but or bad calls against your team, they can make you a little angry. Like you might yell at the TV, they can't hear you, but you might be yelling at them. And you might say a few words that you should never say anywhere and definitely don't say in church, right? If you're on TV, be like bleep, 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 bleep. You might even throw something. Our anger, is re- our anger reveals what we care about. Here in this passage, we see Jesus get the most angry that he ever does in the gospels, The failure of the religious leaders in the temple drives him insane. And as he drives out the den of robbers, he shares why he's angry. He says, my house, or he says, is it not written that my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? He's quoting from Isaiah 56, 7 and says, where it says that the temple is supposed to be a house of prayer for all the nations. So here we see Jesus' heart and his vision, his dream for the temple It was supposed to be a place that connected people to God and drew the nations to God. And this dream was not coming to pass. And Jesus was committed to bringing the whole thing down and building a new temple. But this time the temple would not be made with brick and mortar, but with flesh and blood. He's going to build a new temple. Paul tells us about it in 1 Corinthians 3. He says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Okay, so Paul, he's writing to the local church at Corinth. Here we see that the church, the people of God, or they are the new temple. This is the better temple that Jesus is building in the old temple's place. It's important to note that Paul, he's not talking about a building, although I'm thankful for church buildings. He's talking about a people. He's talking about the body of Christ, In Ephesians 2, he says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple, 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 in the Lord, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Jesus was committed to building a new temple that fulfilled his original dream. In 1 Corinthians 6, we also see the, or that each individual believer, in a sense, is the temple as well because we have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of our hearts. It says this in, in chapter 6, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? You are not your own. You are a temple, a temple of God. Every believer in Jesus is supposed to be the place where God's presence, you know, the Holy Spirit does live inside of us. The, or God's Spirit lives in us. We are God's temple. Okay, so with that in mind, both the church corporately and believers individually are the new temple. So Jesus' heart for the new temple is the same as it was for the old temple. He wants us to be a house of prayer for all the nations. So when you look in the mirror in the morning, Jesus says you're supposed to be a house of prayer for all the nations. And when you come in this body and gather with the believers, we're supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations. That's his dream He's consumed with passion for this dream. He wants every disciple in every local church to be a house of prayer for all the nations. And when we fail to live it out, he might come in and throw my table off the stage. If that happened, y'all be like, that ain't Jesus. That ain't Jesus. No, he did it, right, in Mark chapter 11. If we fail to live up to what he's called us to, he might wanna flip over some tables, Okay, so let's talk about what house of prayer for the nations means. The first thing is house of prayer. Okay, we're called to be walking houses of prayer. We're called to walk in relationship with God and commune with him all day long. Jesus, he, he desperately wants to restore what was broken in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis, we see that in the beginning, God would walk in the garden in the cool of day with, with Adam and Eve, right? He would walk with him and have relationship with them. And then when sin came in, that was broken. That ability was broken. And Jesus wants to or to restore that relationship with God. He wants us to to be walking houses of prayer. Just as the old temple offered up sacrifices to God, he wants our lives to be lives of sacrifice and worship to him. He wants our hearts to be a home for his presence. He wants your heart to be a place where he can dwell. As a church, he wants our priority to be prayer and his presence. And when we gather together, he wants to move among us he doesn't want to just be a theory, right? Like we talk about from a book, like, oh, yeah, Jesus, that guy, let's chat about him. No, he wants to be a living person in this room with us, the Holy Spirit. And when we gather, he wants to move. He wants to do stuff. He wants us uh, to do what the old temple could never do. He wants us to be a house of prayer, he doesn't just want us to be houses of prayer, though. He wants us to be houses of prayer that don't just exist for ourselves, but exist for the nations, for all nations. Jesus has never been content with letting us be about ourselves. Okay, so when he called Abraham to become the father of the Jewish people in Genesis chapter 12, that's you know, 12 chapters into the Bible, this is what he said. He said, I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that what? So that you will be a blessing. God was gonna bless Abraham so that he could be a blessing to the nations. And the people of Israel, they were never called to simply serve God themselves. They were called to be a light to the nations and they stunk at it. They failed miserably. Instead of loving God and obeying him and being a light, they loved the gods of the nations around them. And they disobeyed God time and time again, and they turned other people away from him. And Jesus' mission was to do what Israel could never do. He came to be the faithful Israelite who would love God with his whole heart, obey him to a T, and be a light to the nations by dying on the cross for our sins and being raised from the dead so we can have life eternal. Jesus did what Israel could never do, and he's called his disciples to then go out and be an extension of that. In Matthew 28, this is what he said to his disciples just before he left the earth. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. All nations, come on. Okay, does Jesus care about the nations? He cares about the nations, right? Of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. As As the new temple, we're called to do what the old temple could never do. We're called to love God, obey him, and help others do the same. And we're called to be fiercely committed to leading our friends and our cities to Jesus. We're called to preach the gospel, heal the sick, cast out demons, demonstrate Jesus' love, teach our friends to follow him, and send missionaries around the world. Mission has to be our priority. I will never apologize for being a church about mission. It has to be our priority. He wants us to be consumed with helping the nations come to know him. He wants us to understand that we're a sent people. And this is his dream for us. He wants us to be a house of prayer for all the nations, both as individual believers and families and also as a church. That's his dream, house of prayer for all nations. It's been, his dream has been simple from the very beginning. He wants to raise up a people who love him and love people. And this is his dream for your life and for mine. It's his dream for our church. It's his dream for every other church. And this is gonna look different for every individual and in every church, but our lives are supposed to orient around this dream. House of prayer, All nations in the early church had great success at living out Jesus' dream. They were truly a house of prayer for all the nations. They gave all of themselves to Jesus and his mission. In Acts 2, 42 through 47, we get a glimpse of what the early church looked like. Let's see it. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and signs and wonders were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. That's my dream. Every day, getting a text from when he had just led this guy to Jesus. We're like, let's get the baptismal tank out again. We just tore it down. We'll be glad to put it back up. <laughs> it's my dream. Day by day, those are being saved. So, or so what we see here is that the early church was successful at being the house of prayer for all nations. Right? They were a house of prayer for all nations. They truly lived out Jesus' dream. As they did, they saw amazing things happen. God moved. In, in verse 43, it says, many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So like, like Peter's shadow healed people. So it'd be like if we say, Pastor Noah, come up here. Let's get a shadow going. There's a shadow right there. I'm gonna lay in the shadow, get healed. That's what's going on at church, right? Like signs and wonders, a house of prayer. When, or when we truly live into this, when we truly live out our calling in his dream, the power of God will be on tap, right? For the early church, people were saved, healed, and set free A house of prayer for all nations has power. Has power. Power. If you're sleeping, I gotta do something weird. (laughs) If we can live out Jesus' dream, we'll be filled with the Holy Spirit's power. We won't just come to church on Sunday mornings expecting a good cup of coffee, which is a good cup of coffee. Thank you, cafe team. And a good teaching. But instead, we'll actually expect God to be here. Crazy thought, huh? Coming to church, like God's gonna do stuff. Right, that's what we wanna see. And we'll expect it. If we're bringing our unsaved friends to church, we're like, hey, "Hey, or their life might be completely changed after this morning, right?" We expect God to do stuff. Come on, somebody! Each of these little things could be sermons in themselves. Maybe I need to do long series. Anyways, Acts two forty six b, right? Something else happens. They receive their food with glad and generous hearts. As the early church walked in their calling, they were glad and generous. They had a joy and generosity that wasn't dependent on circumstances. They could get locked up in prison, still praising him. Woo, we're in prison, praise God. Pelted with stones, Paul goes outside, or Paul gets back up, comes back into the city, says, I'm still gonna preach to y'all. I don't care if you just threw stones at me. I got this, right? Pelted with stones, they're uh, shipwrecked at sea, right? Like ships, like, like Paul's in like multiple shipwrecks. I don't know how you end up in those circumstances multiple times, an odd thing to happen over and over again. But even in the midst of all this, they had a joy and a generosity that was uncontainable. It was a joy unspeakable, a joy unshakable. A house of prayer for all nations has joy. And this is a direct fulfillment of Isaiah 56. It says, "This or these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. I want to be joyful when we gather, right? We're in the house of prayer for all nations. And their burnt offerings, their sacrifices will be accepted on my my altar for my house. shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. If we can be a house of prayer for all nations, if we can be a people that actually loves God and makes disciples, we'll be a joyful church. It's hard not to be excited when people are getting saved every day, right? When people are like the baptismal tank's just full, and people are in there getting saved, set free, all that. Like, it's hard not to be joyful when God's doing stuff. The house of prayer for all nations is powerful, it's joyful. There's one other thing we see in verse 47. It says that, or that the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Okay, so they didn't just slowly add like a couple people each year. Right? They didn't slowly move the needle with their ideas of how to grow the church. Instead, they exploded onto the scene, and they added people every single day. And they saw people come to Jesus in droves. Sometimes here at Scent, when we do a lot of baptisms on one Sunday, at the end, like, man, that water, it's rough, slimy. There's some stuff going in. I'm like, I don't know what that is. I'm not getting in. I'm kidding. If if you're getting baptized, please stick with it. Just make sure you're first, okay? But anyways, (laughs) it it gets kind of gross. And I'll tell you one thing, the early church's baptismal tank, oh, that sucker was nasty because they had Acts 2, there's 3,000 people getting saved, right? You're baptizing 3,000 people in one day. That might be a wild day. Might get some water on the carpet. I don't know. But, but anyways, a house of prayer for all nations, it multiplies. If we can be a church that truly loves Jesus and lives out our calling, we'll be a church that others want to be a part of. We don't have to twist anybody's arm. It's like power of God on tap, joy on tap. Hey, I'm jumping in. And as we multiply, we'll plant other churches and congregations. I believe that's in the future for our church. As we look into the future for our church, our calling or our dream, our vision is not some new strategy, but it's actually a simple, ancient way. He, I believe Jesus is, or Jesus is calling us back to the ways of the early church. I believe the way to change the landscape of the secular West in the 21st century is to do it the same way that the early church Changed the landscape of the Roman Empire in the first century. It's to see Jesus' dream and to pursue it. Again, his dream, house of prayer for all nations. Jesus wants us to be consumed with love for him and love for people. He wants his presence and his mission to be our priority. It seems simple enough, right? Love God, love people. And yet, it's so elusive at times for us in the American church So what will it take for us to follow the ways of the early church and be a house of prayer for all nations once again? I believe there's so much you could say about this, but if you drill it down, simply put, if we wanna be like the early church, we have to be devoted. We have to be committed. If we want the results they had, we need the commitment they had. And the word that, that Luke uses in 242, he says they devoted themselves. In that word in the Greek, it means to be steadfastly attentive unto or to give unremitting care to a thing. If we want the results of the early church, we have, to, we have to match the commitment and the devotion of the early church. Okay, so what were they devoted to exactly though? In verse 42, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which would be the word of God, right? The apostles' teachings became the New Testament. So they immersed themselves in truth. We are a truth church. If the Bible says that, we believe it, Right? come on. We don't let culture dictate our beliefs. Instead, we realize that the devil lies to us through culture all the time, and the truth sets people free. Right? We're going to stand on the word of God. So, so they were committed to truth. Also, they were committed to prayer. The prayer meeting wasn't an option. It was a priority. Come on. Yeah, I'll get going on that. There's only like 10 of us there usually we'll grow, we got this, it's coming, it's coming. You guys are all gonna be banging down the door of the prayer meeting soon, I just know it. And in verse, in verse 47, it says that they praised God. Or they sang songs to Jesus. They may have sang so long that your legs or your feet start to hurt. You're standing too long. You know how that is when we add like the fourth song. Like, like, like we go a little bit extra, a little spontaneous. Also, it's like, yeah, yeah. And, like, and, then, and, and then Ashton looks at him. They're like, mm-hmm, we're doing it. And they start going, right? You know how that is when it gets long. They were probably having long worship services. They were singing to God, right? They were giving it all to him, pouring out their love uh, to Jesus. If we want to be a house of prayer for all nations, we got to be devoted to Jesus. That shouldn't be revolutionary, we're going to be devoted to Jesus. This is all about Him. The whole thing's about Him. I didn't plant this for me, right? I didn't step into this for me or for you. Or, no, it's for Him to bring Him glory on the earth. It's His idea. It's His church. It's all about Him. He's the Messiah. He died on a cross and He came back from the dead. That should mess us up a little bit. Right, we're devoted to Him. That's the commitment to Jesus. Our priority is not being the coolest church. Our priority is not having the biggest church. Our priority is not pleasing people. It's Jesus. He's the commitment. I wanna bring him glory on the earth. Jesus, oh man. We're talking about Jesus now. <laughs> I'm about to sing precious blood for all of you and that ain't gonna be good. But. Uh, all right, so here's the thing. We gotta be committed to Jesus. But also, if we wanna be a house of prayer for all nations, a natural overflow of our devotion to Jesus will be a devotion to his mission, right? So, so we're not here to please people, right? This church isn't about people, but we love people and we want people to come to faith in Christ because we wanna see people set free and bring, or bring glory to Jesus. In verse 47, we see that the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved, And we see throughout the book of Acts that they were constantly pushing the gospel forward and reaching new parts of the world. They were laying it all on the line to push the gospel forward. They were fiercely devoted to Jesus' mission and they were willing to lay it all out there. They were willing to risk their lives and they gave their lives. Many of them died for this to bring the gospel to new places. They had not forgotten Jesus' assignment to uh, disciple the nations. If we wanna be a house of prayer for all nations, we gotta be devoted to the mission and we gotta be laser focused on the Great Commission. There are lost ones all around us in our community who, if they died today, they would go to hell. That's the reality. And God has called us to be ambassadors for Him and share His love with them. And share them the hope, or share with them the hope of salvation. And there are countries and people groups all around the world that have no Bible in their language. They have no missionaries, no churches, and we are called to leverage our resources to reach those people with the gospel. If there's a missionary willing to go, you better bet that I'm gonna do whatever I gotta do to fund them. I'm gonna give them the resource they need to help them get there, and that's why I will never apologize for asking you to give to kingdom builders. I can't apologize for that. There are people in whole countries that nobody knows Jesus, not in the whole land, and if there's someone who's willing to go, oh man, there'll be some tables flipped over if we're not willing to fund them. Oh boy, I think I'd be getting a cord to my butt, right? Like Jesus whipping me like, what are you doing, pastor? Mission is our priority from day one. We have given 10% to missions from day one. I supported a cent church, supported a missionary before cent churches existed. Like that's the first thing we started giving to or, or started paying for It's a missionary. And they're gonna be here on October 8th. Man, they're gonna be good. You've be ready for the goods. That's their name, the goods. I'm excited to hear from them but we're gonna be about missions. Every time you give something to Saint Church, 10% of it goes to missions. Plus we do Kingdom builders on top of it because we believe that our mission has to be our priority. <laughs> 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 so far we've seen that we have to be devoted to Jesus and his mission. And this makes sense, House of Prayer, Jesus, for all nations, mission, right? But there's one more important element that the early church had that I think we often miss. I think we really struggle with it in the West and increasingly so. It's gotten a lot harder even after COVID or especially after COVID. In verse 42, it says that they were devoted to fellowship, right? They didn't just do a Sunday church. They attended the temple together daily. And not just that, but they broke bread together in their homes. They ate food together on the regular. They're at Applebee's having half price apps (laughs) enjoying it. Right, they practiced communion together, or they broke that boneless wing, had that Mountain Dew, and they did their communion. I'm just kidding. Second service gets weird sometimes. Forgive me. In verse, in verse 44 through 45, we see that they shared their possessions with one another. Right? They didn't let needs in the church go unmet. They were radically generous. You know revivals come when people start selling all their stuff and giving it to the poor. Oh man, like, like they laid everything at the apostles' feet. So here's the thing. If we wanna be a house of prayer for all nations, we have to be devoted to one another. There's no way around it. There's no way around it. This is easier said than done though. We live in a world that constantly tempts us to isolate and to be devoted to ourselves. Instead of living life as the family of God and being deeply committed to one another, we're tempted to embrace a, a do-it-yourself Christianity. So think about this. You know, If you're going into battle, you're a soldier. Right, you're not going to run onto the battlefield with a gun to start shooting by yourself like, Brrr. yeah, all by myself, right? No, you're going to have comrades with you going in battle. And I feel like for, for many of us, we've embraced that style of Christianity. We're just going to do it by ourselves. We're like, hey, I listened to Stephen Furtick this week, a sermon. I'm good. I don't need to go to church. I don't need to be in community. I just need to hear a teaching. Jesus didn't come to give it or just a teaching. All right? He came to form a family. Want to get me going? Let's talk about that. He came to form a family. Okay, do you think the early church was content with just one and a half hour gatherings on Sunday mornings and like, hey, we're good. Let's all go do our own thing the rest of the week. In our day and age, do you think a one and a half hour gathering on a Sunday morning is sufficient if we're gonna be shaped into the image of Jesus and reach the world? In the midst of our culture? All week long, we're being bombarded by social media, Hollywood, and the media to be shaped into an anti-Jesus. They are preaching different gospel messages to us. They're telling us contrary stories of what the good life is and what life should be about. Constantly, the devil is lying to us through this stupid thing that I still have for some reason. He's constantly lying to us. And we think we can do it on our own. We think we can just be good with one and a half hour on Sunday. I don't even pay attention for half the sermon because he went long. (laughs) <laughs> oh, he's going so long. To, guys, come on, give me a break. Apostle Paul preached so long that a dude fell out of the window and died. He, so I'm just saying, I haven't gotten there yet. He went down and resurrected him. So it's all good in the end. But that happened. That's real history, okay? <laughs> that makes me feel better. People fell asleep during the Apostle Paul's preaching. Man, okay. Okay. <laughs> If we're gonna be a house of prayer for all the nations, we can't settle for Sundays only. We gotta be all in on the family of God, warts and all. Family of God's gonna hurt you at times. Family of God is not perfect, family of God's gonna make mistakes, but we have to be all in on the family of God. And it says this about the early church in Acts 2, and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They gathered every day together. Every day. So for them, like the temple is kind of like what church is for us on Sundays. It's a public gathering point. They would come there, the apostles would preach, they would evangelize, much like we do here on Sundays. We preach, we share the gospel, we hope people put their faith in Christ. Uh, the believers would come and, and bring their unchurch friends or see their unchurch friends there. Not unchurch, they would say, you know, not believers in Jesus. They uh, would see them there and they would hope that they would believe in the gospel as the apostles would contend for it. And that's what we do. We bring our friends to church, we hope that our friends put their faith in Christ. We worship Jesus together, we lift him up together as a corporate body. But they also had another context they had the context of gathering in their homes together. So there's certain things uh, that can't happen in rows that can happen in circles, right? So certain things, especially here in Acts 2, there's just certain things that can't happen in this setting. And that's okay because we have two settings. There's a large group context. There's a smaller group context. And in the homes, it's a place where deep connections can be formed, People can confess sin in a safe place. Like we're not gonna have, hey, everybody come up and confess sin right now. Let's do that. We're not gonna do that, right? It'll take all day and then some. (laughs) But, uh, But in the home, we can do that. We can confess sin. We can pray for one another. We can be intentional about personal growth and development. We can speak to individual needs. And for us here at SENT, we try to do that in our communities. They're not perfect. We're still forming and shaping them, developing them. But that's the space where we try to be intimate and intentional with one another. And they're a bit different than the typical church small group. So instead of just being like a small group where you just like kind of share your feelings about things or being like a Bible study where just like teaching, it's a little bit of both of those things. But then also we have times of worship. We do outreach together. Um, uh, There are snacks. Praise God for snacks. So we try to do the food. Maybe someday we'll do dinners. Who knows? But at this point, we just do snacks. And and essentially what we're trying to do is we're trying to live out Acts 2.42 through 47 together. And the vision is that there would be communities planted all over the Cedar Valley of people going after Jesus together in an intimate setting. And then we gather all together on Sunday mornings. as like a reunion every week where we praise Jesus, bring our friends, all that. Okay, so we don't wanna just gather a crowd on Sunday mornings. We wanna gather families throughout the week. If we want what the early church had, we have to be committed to getting around each other and stirring each other up. Hebrews 10, 24 says, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I can't tell you how many times gathering with another believer, specifically in small group settings, about five other people, is just what I needed. There's been more transformational encounters that I've had in that setting with like five other guys that speak truth to me, encourage me, cry with me, than what's happened in settings with all the worship and the smoke and lights and all that kind of stuff. There's power in relationships. There's power in those settings. We need those settings because we need to be able to stir one another up. There's been times where I go and I feel like I'm suffocating and I come out and I feel like I can breathe again because of what a brother said over my life. Your testimony, your word of encouragement could be a key that unlocks something in someone else. But for you to be able to give that to them and for them to be able to give that to you, you have to actually gather together. As we look to the future of Sent Church, we want to be devoted, not half-hearted, not apathetic, not content with less than Jesus' best, but devoted, specifically devoted to Jesus, his mission, and one another. So the main idea this morning is to be a house of prayer, we must be devoted to Jesus, his mission, and one another. After Pastor Rich encouraged me to plant Sent Church, I was scared out of my mind. I knew I was gonna get pushed back from my own heart and from other people. I wanted to make sure that I was hearing God correctly and doing what he wanted me to do and not what I wanted to do. I wanted to make sure that he was the church planter and not me. I wanted to make sure that he was the one building the church. Did I share that yet? The whiteboard thing about my office? I already shared it at this service. Way to go. All right. (laughs) Sorry, guys, I'm still getting used to two services. I started two services, and then I didn't preach for a couple weeks. Awesome. So I told the Lord, I said, if you want to plant this church, if you want me to plant this church, I need a prophetic word. A a prophetic word is just when God speaks to your situation through another person. And I prayed for this in June, July, and August. Got nothing. I'm like, Lord, you want me to do this? You got to... You gotta speak to me through someone who doesn't know about the situation. In September of 2019, I was at a prayer meeting in Ames with our Chi Alpha team. I'll be honest with you. I wasn't like coming ready to go. Like there's sometimes you come to church, you're like, I'm ready. I'm gonna worship the Lord. I got my journal this week. I got up a little earlier. No, that was not that morning. I'm like on the back, like praise him, praise him. Yeah, Lord, you know, just tired. And we had a time of prayer where we prayed over one another in a group of about five or six people. And they asked me, they said, hey, what do you need prayer for? You know, I could have said, hey, I'm praying about my future. I'm praying about planning a church. I need prayer. I didn't say any of that. I, I, I said, I don't know, whatever you feel led to pray for. Awesome. So they began to pray over me. And a man begins to just prophesy over me. He says, he says, you're sensing that God is calling you into something new. I'm like, Holy Spirit? Is that you? I'm like, okay, this is good. I'm waking up now. What do you got for me, Lord? And he's like, and you feel inadequate for the task that he's called you to you feel like you couldn't do it but the lord says you were born for this i made you for this you were born a leader i'm like great thank you god that's awesome and then his wife begins to pray over me and she gets this little vision she's like very spiritual woman like she just gets all these visions it's cool and she gets this vision of me sewing up an old pair of jeans like there's holes in them i'm trying to fix them She's like, you're sewing up an old pair of jeans and I don't know if this makes any sense to you. This might be so weird. You know, you know. Maybe it's not from God, whatever, it might be weird, but I feel like the Lord is saying, put those old jeans down and go buy yourself a brand new pair of jeans. And for me, I knew that was the Lord calling me to plant a church because i have been trying to make the old situation work out, but it wasn't working out. And God was saying, go and do a new thing. I bless you, I'm calling you to it. But here's the thing, like that prophetic word, those prophetic words unlocked this whole thing. I kind of burst the cap off of this whole thing. And here we are today, three years later, or four years later. I wouldn't have gotten those words if I hadn't showed up that morning. I hardly knew those people who, who prophesied over me. There's no way they would have just reached out to me randomly and, and did that. Instead, we were together. They, they were praying for me and God gave them that. If we want to be encouraged and stirred up and challenged, if we want to encounter the Lord, we got to gather together. We gotta show up. I don't know how many times where we have have missed something that God wants to do in us because we didn't go to the prayer meeting. We didn't go to the Sunday service. We didn't go to small group because we're tired or whatever. And I just don't want us to miss out on what Jesus has for us. And I think there's power in being together. I think amazing things happen when the people of God gather together. And I don't want you to miss out. If we're gonna be a church that's a house of prayer for all the nations, we need to be devoted to Jesus, Right? devoted to his mission, but also we got to be devoted to one another. We got to be devoted to the family of God. So let's go ahead and stand all across this room. We're going to pray and close. If we can lean into Jesus's dream for our church, and we can lean into him, his mission, and each other, I believe we're going to become that house of prayer for all the nations. I just believe that. And I believe 10 years from now, we're going to be telling crazy stories of God's faithfulness. Crazy stories of people who came in, got set free, saved, delivered, all that. And stories of people who, who come in, don't know Christ, they, they give their life to Him, and then they, they get raised up into ministry, and, and they go plant a church somewhere else. There's going to be stories of how we expanded this property out that direction. It's not that I'm thinking about it or anything, but maybe... <laughs> And the parking lot was bigger so y'all had a place to park and in case he doesn't have to walk to church, you know, whatever. <laughs> There's gonna be stories shared of God's faithfulness if we can press into this, if we can keep Jesus at the center, keep his mission at the center. All right, so I wanna pray over us. And as I do, I just wanna encourage you to seek the Lord's heart for you. Maybe he's calling you to be devoted to him or to community or to his mission, but just hear his heart and then we'll respond to God. We'll have the altars open and the prayer team's gonna be up here. So I'll pray for us. Lord, thank you for this beautiful morning. Thank you for these beautiful hearts, these beautiful people. And God, I pray that your will would be done at St. Church. Jesus, you are the church planter. You are the one building this thing. And Lord, we love you. We're grateful for everything you've done. You've been so, so faithful to us. God, I pray as we look to the future, we would be relentlessly committed to your mission, to one another, and most importantly, to you. Lord, may you be always center stage at Scent Church. It's all about you, Jesus, all about you. And Lord, may people find freedom and healing in this place. And may we press onward in your mission, no matter how hard it is. We leverage everything for the mission of God on the earth so that all nations can come to know you. And God, I pray for each one of us that you'd help us to grow in the areas where we need to grow. So God, we love you. We thank you in your name. Amen, amen. All right, altars are open. Let's worship Lord one more time.